It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We're back after some technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks everyone for your patience. Uh, glad to be back in the in the studio on the show, and uh, I will just put my absence down to work based remorse. Is probably the best thing to say at this at this juncture. Okay, unavoidable professional fiasco. Um, and essentially we were unable to record last week because the timing of it. At one stage we were looking at recording on Tuesday. The week just fell apart, really, in many, many different respects. What about you? It was nearly a midnight recording. It, there was, it was a small that, window yeah. you had, but three a.m. recording. I'm putting my um, excuse down to God's wrath. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I, I was attacked by a, like a a biblical pox when I was in Rome, or more 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 um, accurately, when I came home from Rome. I'm actually convinced. Right, you've seen the photos. Yeah, of what became of me? Are we allowed to talk about? We're this? We're allowed to talk about. Craig had an outbreak. Yeah, no, so I was like bitten alive, I guess, by mosquitoes, tiger mosquitoes, we think. Um, the doctors weren't sure. <laughs> but it was like Your a full body thing. Yeah. It was, I was just one one gigantic itch I couldn't scratch for about a week after I came home. I have seen was the photos, a nice trip. yeah. You sent me photos. You sent me a photo and you said it's worse elsewhere. And you said, I've got a really gnarly <laughs> one of my... <laughs> that sounds, hold on. That sounds... No, 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 no. That no, sounds no. really bad. You said, I've got a really gnarly one of my arm. And <laughs> yeah. I, I said, I'll take that photo. And it was indeed gnarly. Yeah, yeah, it was horrific. Um, you look like something out of like casualty or something, you know? Well, you know, I took another photo. I took a photo in the okay. Sistine Chapel, which you're not supposed to do. There days you go. before. Yes, you put it on I Twitter. maybe I got like a fucking Job style pox on me. Yeah, you're very smug. Not it so was smug very now. smug and then got my comeuppance, so, so lesson learned. You also asked someone out on Tinder via the medium of talking about Twin Peaks, I believe. I don't believe I asked them out. We were just discussing <laughs> TV shows okay, as I okay. tried to make an informed decision of whether I would ask them out. Okay. well, uh, we, They we, were not asked out. Yeah, we had to make an informed decision about not doing the show last week. I do apologise, but Adam stepped in with a great before the encore with Richard Reading, yeah, which yeah. was really good. And uh, it was it benefited from Adam being in the studio in Limerick as well. It was all good. But yeah, yeah. so we're, we're back in business now. And uh, with that, let's start the show. Yeah. 
name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 341. Fuck me. Sorry. <laughs> Good to be back. <laughs> we will be referring back to episode one, though, on this show, as we we are currently awaiting the arrival of Overhead the Albatross, who I believe it was the same situation way back in the first yeah. episode, except I sounded a lot more subdued, like I was in Quaaludes or something. Dave hadn't learned how to talk to, into a microphone yet. But um, essentially, they, they'll be here in the next 15 minutes, I believe, uh, which was a similar situation the first time around. And we'll get to that when they get here. They have a new single out. It's all very exciting. Yeah. So let's see what we can do for now. It's top five songs about work on this episode as well. Craig is back. The pod is back. Mark Conroy was on last time. He did great. Top yeah. five action movie scores. We all really enjoyed that. And as well, like I say, if you enjoy all the work that we do, when we can do it, it's patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to go uh, support the show, go the extra mile, please do consider that. Although, you know... It is budget week. steroid cream to apply. Steroid cream for Craig, uh, petrol for Adam to go to studios around the country and interview people, and I guess uh, money for me to pay my rent. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, It's budget week. You know, we're all getting hit hard by it, so, you know. Should we get a sting for that? Do whatever you can. And if you love the show, patreon.com slash noencore. And thank you sincerely to everyone who does, in fact, support the show on there. Uh, In the meantime, if you're like, fuck off, Dave, no money for you, just tell someone about the show. Enthusiastically, preferably. And, yeah, uh, that's the currency we're after. Yeah. Word of mouth. Social clout. That's social what we clout, want. word of mouth. And someone who knows all about social clout is coming right up. Hey, you heard about the good news? Why, it's our old friend Kanye West. As a matter of fact, why don't we have the old sting for old time's sake, shall we? Attention, everyone. One, one. Shut up, Craig on Kanye worth it completely worth the wait there comes dulcet tones and yeah me and my dulcet tones back on the mic talking about yay i've got to say i like burst out laughing as i was probably being um like unbeknownst to me eating alive by mosquitoes listening to the last episode of the podcast and <laughs> this the top story was it the top story it was one it was maybe the second story where kanye had decided to end all beefs all grudges all grudges were off following the um sad passing of queen elizabeth ii putting everything in perspective now he's been talking about how he can relate to the entire uk who are still in mourning i believe well he centralized it he said london he did actually I think he just thinks the UK is London right <laughs> yeah, sure. you know what I mean go to London <laughs> yeah but um, Kanye said he can relate to those uh, in London mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth II because quote I lost my queen too nice oh man um, yeah he posted this on social media it comes days after he went on Good Morning America I haven't seen that clip no you been watching it I haven't no <laughs> I like the way I phrased that, like you've been watching it like in perpetuity, just on repeat. Yeah. Um, he gave this interview where he apologised to his wife, um, Kim Kardashian, for, quote, any stress that he's caused uh, since their breakup. Um, they've been living separate lives since early 2021. In the new post on Instagram, he likened his pain to those mourning the Queen's death. London, I know how you feel. I lost my Queen too. Um, I mean, kind of kudos to him for making amends on um, American television. He's That's how we up. should settle all our family yeah, affairs, I he's guess. he's following up on the whole no, no more grudges thing. Cody next, please. I like Kind Yay. I like Kind Vibes. Yay. Kind Yay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind Yay West. <laughs> Album for the kids. <laughs> kind Yay is for the children. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, hopefully on the road to some kind of recovery here. Yes. Uh, even if I found the Instagram story of I Lost My Queen 2 to be fucking hilarious. It's great. Um, yeah. And, and say about the Queen. 
Um, you didn't have a chance last time because you weren't here. Great sense of humour. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but a uh, wicked sense of wicked humor. sense of humour. Yeah, as, um, as shown by that racist clip doing the rounds. What's the racist clip? David Jason was interviewed on something, and he talked about how the Queen uh, said, and he was like, "Oh, she's a great sense of humour," and he gave this anecdote about how she like. After she was talking to some foreign dignitary, she turned around and said, I think I was talking to a gorilla. And everyone burst out laughing on the show. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, so R.I.P. the Queen. Yeah. R.I.P. Pharaoh Saunders. R.I.P. Um, the British Pound. The economy. Speaking of British Pound, speaking of the economy, speaking of old battle axes of yore, <laughs> let's talk about Maggie Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, also in the coal ground. Um, she was once hailed by Jerry Hallowell of the Spice Girls as the first Spice Girl, quote unquote, uh, which was a weird quote back in '96, and it's weirder today. Yeah. Um, and Hall- Jerry Hallowell gave the quote to the Spectator as well. Jesus, uh, she said, "We Spice Girls are true Thatcherites. Thatcher was the first Spice Girl, the pioneer of our ideology, girl Conservatism. power. Conservatism. <laughs> How did this like kind of go under the radar? Maybe possibly. Anyway, Mel C, who always seemed like maybe the most level-headed of the group. Yeah, for sure. She's done a new interview now with the UK Independent and I guess that quote was thrown her way and asked did you all feel like this or was Jerry Hallowell uh, she said absolutely not Jerry in the past was very vocal about her support for Margaret Thatcher I'm from Liverpool it was not a name that was celebrated in that region oh. they were never the thoughts or feelings that I shared people know me from the things I do I'm quite aware of what kind of person I am I don't think people think I'm a raging Tory take that Jerry Hallowell and uh, or Jerry Horner as she is now now she's married to an F1 magnate um, Congratulations. the star Mel C continued to say that the interview made seem that the whole group shared that position but they did not and she said there have been a couple of times in my career when I was nervous about going home and that was one of them uh, however in more positive news she has said that she is hopeful for another Spice Girls world tour uh, there's nothing really happening at the moment but we're constantly talking and trying to work it out and make it work for everybody that's my number one wish and one would presume that Jerry Hallowell will once again not be invited to the party um, do we need a Spice Girls reunion? No, and neither do they. Y- yeah. Maybe just, their accountant does, I don't know. The last one was pretty successful though, right? Which kind of struck Two me as Two Nights at Park, was it? Yeah, I mean, People outs- really up outside for it, yeah. of those gigs, you never really hear them talked about in the same way as like, just that nostalgia wave didn't seem to hit them. There, there hasn't been a real kind of critical reappraisal outside of maybe Wannabe. Do you know so, how many studio albums they released in their career? I would say... Three. You are correct. Yes. It was three albums. Back in quiz mode. Well done. <laughs> oh, speaking of quiz mode, Mark Conroy, recently of this parish, yes. has an excellent idea for a quiz round for the next No Encore quiz. Go on. I'm not going to tell you what it oh, is. But I am, I will say, so inspired am I. <laughs> My head just fell there. <laughs> he, he actually tried out on me impromptu in the pub, and I did very well. I think I got seven out of ten, maybe six. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> so, thanks. We're so, in front of a hot mic, though, are you? No. Pressure on. But the pressure was on, because you're sitting there in the moment, and you've got earphones on. Oh, that, that's give, a bit of a giveaway. Might an be, audio round. It's an audio round. I will say it has inspired me to get to work on the next No Encore quiz. So, hopefully okay. coming soon. Um, I'll, I'll try and get one more in before the calendar year is out um, I think there was a good reaction to the last one but uh, speaking of reactions to things and keeping it British as well why not um, I went to the cinema Craig yeah you sure did and I went to see a film a film in which a young British man uh, gives the performance of a lifetime and we can have a little snippet of what that sounds like not everyone gets this opportunity and if you keep talking like this you're going to put it all at risk are you worried about a demotion? That's what you're worried about? Our life. Alice, our life together. This. We could lose this. 
quite up to that standard, is it? That's Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. Impeccable, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> impeccable American accent on Florence Pugh, in which she acts rings around everyone else on the screen. And, and don't worry, darling, uh, the motion picture of the summer, late summer, autumn. Uh, yeah, I went to see it on Friday. Would you like to ask me anything about it? Given that uh, Harry Styles has been kind of, you know, uh, in the in the firing line, perhaps. Yeah, um, this is one where I'm never going to see it. So I did that <laughs> thing where I was like, just curious enough about the kind of sense of mystery around it. You that read I, the Wikipedia. Plot I went synopsis. to the Wikipedia. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to devour this plot and find out how it ends. And um, I was a bit like underwhelmed. Um, so was I. But the the Wikipedia didn't really tell me much about. Young Harry's acting jobs. No, so. it wouldn't. It's just a plot synopsis. They don't really get into editorialising there, do they? Yeah, that's Wikipedia. Well, the stands have all said he's very good, so that's all we need to know, isn't it? Stands of Harry Styles. Yes, oh, yes. Okay. Stands okay. of Wikipedia plot synopsis. <laughs> um, so you're asking me the question, how is he? Yeah. Is he good? Well, Better than expected from that clip, because that that kind of caught fire, didn't it? it and caught, it was a little yeah. unfair, maybe, out of context. I think it's, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think it is a little unfair out of context. I found myself thinking, that is definitely a more not great example of him, and he's clearly acting, whereas Florence Pugh is just a natural, yeah. you know, even like with her American accent, you can just hear it in the clip, the cadence of how she's speaking. And he is meant to be a bit het up in that scene. Um, To be honest, I didn't think that he was headline-worthy bad. Mm. He's certainly not good. But he looks the part and the character is kind of bland and in the background enough that he gets away with it. There's a couple of moments. There's one bit in particular in the film where um, he has this big kind of breakdown. You see a shot of it in the trailer where he's in a car and he's screaming. But like the precursor to that and then that bit as well, I thought was genuinely one of the one of the worst pieces of acting I've ever seen. Uh, just so forced. Um, I felt sorry for him. He's mostly out of his depth. But it wasn't... I didn't, I wasn't like cringing. I was just yeah. kind of like, this is unconvincing. Chris Pine's in there and he's clearly phoning it in. And even him half asleep is more like of a natural actor because these are natural actors. No, he's I, a pop I, star. He's a pop star. Back um, on stage, Harry. Come I'll, have on. Act, I'll have an acting career. Um, I think <laughs> he can do he, what he wants. I think he can. I mean, like he's, he's good looking enough that he'll get away with it. And I think this role wasn't too much of a stretch. Like it wasn't like, you know... It wasn't too big of an ask, but like he's just not a good actor because he's not an actor yet. I mean, like you're looking, you're watching someone like this is his first ever leading role. He was in Dunkirk. Uh, I said that, spoke. Said that in the American yeah. way there. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Uh, he was in Dunkirk, Glasgow, uh, in which he barely spoke and didn't have to do much. So it remains to be seen. I've no With the right fucking, director. You know, a bit of guidance. I mean, if you're fucking your director, like I don't know, is that like really? Well, the he most, won't be having sex with all of them. We don't One know that. Assume. We don't know that. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's he very, can do he's what he a wants. Very good looking boy, Craig. <laughs> yes. You know, like like who's to say? I was his director. I, mean. I was about to say who's to say I would be tempted. I'll tell you, I've no interest in seeing fucking my policeman. Even the title of that film. What's my policeman? My policeman is a film which he plays a gay policeman, cause a gay policeman who falls in love with someone, and it's like you know, sixties Britain or. 70s Britain or something I think it just has Oscar Bay written all over it and it's in the name name, my policeman like come on you know come on no maybe it's a wonderfully sensitive film I don't know but I just think it looks really really you know baity in many ways Um, so yeah don't worry darling Uh, he's not very good in it to answer your question but Mm -hmm. I didn't think he was bad enough to be like shockingly bad apart from one or two moments where I was like distracted by how he clearly wasn't very good Uh, any other questions about the film? was the film overall I mean he did make that big promise that it was going to be proper cinema it feels like a movie it feels like a movie you know it's it's, it's a movie that feels like a movie did it feel like a movie that's my letterboxd review I gave it one and a half out of five and I said he's right it does feel like a movie but not a film crucially no it feels more like a movie um, it's a 
bad Black Mirror episode as I thought it would be. And it kind of started off okay. And then by the end of it, I was like, this is just really smug and overbearing and not very interesting and very repetitive. And I thought the ending that they, like the kind of big reveal, you've read it, but the big reveal that they chose, I thought was just maybe the least interesting one you could have done. Yeah. And very unconvincingly. And just done so much. It's just yeah, so hackneyed. But you know straight away, like you're like, well, it's clear from the trailer, it's clear from the premise, like, you know, something's rotten in Denmark, but it just doesn't, the pieces don't fit. I don't think it's, again, it looks very nice. Matthew Libatique is the cinematographer, did really nice work. Everyone looks good and they're, you know, various different cocktail dresses and suits and mm. slick back hair and um, I don't know I mean like Olivia Wilde is obviously copying a lot of flack for a lot of reasons but I don't think it's terribly directed it's not very well directed and there's a couple of scenes where I was like that's a weird choice but it wasn't it's not a trash fire it's just boring yeah you know I mean go take the family it's kind of disappointing isn't it you really want it to be a trash fire yeah that was the problem I yeah. was like I was waiting for it to be like terrible but it wasn't so yeah and with that we'll pause the podcast for just one second all right, so yeah, um, I guess the question to ask after all these minutes of him sitting here patiently and saying nothing, Vinny Casey, Overhead the Albatross, have you seen the film Don't Worry, Darling? Uh, I have not seen the film. And hello, by the way, I've just magically appeared on the podcast <laughs> and I'm just here now through the magic of editing. Here Pressing I am. Pressing balls. <laughs> With a very hoarse voice, by the way. Husky. Very hoarse voice, yeah. A few, uh, wedding a few weeks ago is uh, still, still taking its toll on me. I am baffled. You, three weeks, you said? Yeah. I mean, I've, I'll tell, I've fi- had some weddings. Finish your goddamn news section and then we'll move on. <laughs> Super Bowl, Craig. Rihanna's playing the Super Bowl. What do you think? Um, I'm in very the excited. Bowl. I think she's, she's going to win. <laughs> yeah. She's kind of um, the second second choice, right? Apparently, apparently Taylor was offered it and she's like, no, I'm too busy re-recording all of my music still. Yeah. Um, pretty good second choice. Um, do you think this is... A sign that we're going to get an album. Is 100%. She yeah, up yeah, for, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. why else would she do it? Definitely. She's got the catalogue. She's a megastar. I think she'll play... She's a billionaire. I we think she'll... more billionaires getting the spotlight, of course. Yeah, people who hoard immense wealth. We, we enjoy that on the show. I think she will debut a new song either in the performance or like a video will drop after the performance yeah. and it'll be like, holy shit, it's happening with, with a release date for the album. That's my that's my hot take. What would the set list be, do you reckon? Umbrella. It's like, what, 13 minutes, isn't it? Not bad yeah, all you get. That. Umbrella will be in there. Uh, bitch better have get, like, my money should be in there. Yeah. It? Will we get a kind of um, test of her divinity akin to Prince where it's just like when he played Purple Rain it just suddenly starts raining. Will we get rain when Umbrella plays? Maybe. She has that power, right? I don't think she's that good. She's not quite Prince level. I've said this before. I think she's crazy overrated. Mm, great voice. Don't I can't actually remember what she's like as a performer because it's been a long more time. than five years since she's released something. Yeah. I think... It was anti-2015? Yeah, 2015, so 2016. Like, so it'll be, it'll be eight years by the time, like, if she puts out an album next year. It's quite a long she way She hasn't away. released anything in the time we've been doing this podcast. That's weird. That's very strange. Um, Even overhead the Albatross have released something that time. <laughs> That's saying something. Yeah. 2016, okay. That was when we released our last <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess mad. final, well, not final uh, second to last news section real quick Not Rogers um, he uh, of, heard of him <laughs> <laughs> he of chic fame and daft funk fame uh, is now the namesake of an asteroid not the one that NASA smashed a rocket into this week that would have been great uh, it would have been incredible yeah um, so Rogers has a friend called Simon Larry oh so it's a nepotism situation isn't it? who works at the European Southern Observatory and is affiliated with the International Astronomical Union arranged this honour the newly named Nile Rogers 1919 
IG. <laughs> Formal process. It's We're three, all the other nine Roger, <laughs> Nile Rogers taken. Like it's three hundred million miles away from Earth. Uh, it takes under six years to complete one full orbit. It's approximately one and a quarter miles wide, and quote would destroy Earth basically. So, but they can't do that. He'll never be able to gig again. In the unlikely event, we should say of it falling out of orbit, yeah. it's not going to happen. Nile Rogers said, about. "Once you get past the gesture, you're connected with the love that made it happen." It's the love, the human emotions and feelings other people give back to you. So for my entire life, I will hopefully continue to give to others as best I can. And uh, there you go. So congratulations to him. Yeah, hold on a sec. I feel like, isn't this the thing you can just buy online? Do you know what I mean? Like a certificate's just like, we've renamed this asteroid or star after you. Well, it seems... I feel like his mate's just like, yeah, no, I got it, you an asteroid. It seemed, no, yeah, but it seems like he went through like a formal process. So I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're going to pause the podcast again. <laughs> So yeah, I just had to pause there again because I was just like clearing my throat essentially. Yeah. But um, essentially, yeah, we've one one last news story for the section, and it's a uh, Pitchfork. Craig Pitchfork did the uh, they did their their top 150 albums of the 90s today. But the one that we're going to talk about is they released their top 250 songs of the 90s. I sure did. So we can talk about some specifics in a moment. But um, I was just wondering. I mean, like you know, 90s. I'm I, I'd be a bit of a 90s kid. Yeah, I think in a way I love the 90s, especially when it comes to movies and stuff. So I'm I'm just gonna go through some of these songs, and I wonder um uh, who's uh, another man who's also been extremely quiet for the last 20 minutes or yeah. so. Uh, Luke Daly. Has ever heard the <laughs> yeah. Speak up. <laughs> what do you think about 90s music? What do I think about the decade in general? Yeah, sure. That oh, was a great decade. Yeah, it was yeah. the uh, you know the it was. Uh, 99 was probably the best year on the planet for most Here, here. Summertime yes. for humanity. Summertime for humanity. Yeah. We've long maintained that yeah. on this podcast, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Perfect answer. Amazing. Uh, next question. Next question. Um, uh, <laughs> 1920s. <laughs> I feel a bit sweet music. So, uh, Craig, before we get going, I have the top 25 songs of the, of the, two, yeah. of the, of the 90s. By the way, no list needs to be 250 songs strong, like, right? Okay. You took issue with one of them low down. You went on to Twitter last night with a lot of cry laughing emojis. And what song did you go after, Craig? What's up, Four Non Blondes? One of the worst songs of all Ever time. Ever recorded, no, yeah. yeah. Um, Trash. Hold On was also there, I think, like early 2000s. Craig has a problem with Hold On oh, that, like, as a song title. Please tell oh, me just that in there's general, no, yeah, 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 there's yeah, no yeah. overhead songs called Hold On because he hates that title. There can be exceptions there, to the rule, but as a kind of, it's a good kind of bellwetter of like, this is going to be an uninspired song <laughs> it's if, just a what ballad it, it's what called if it hold was on hold comma on would that change things for you <laughs> hold on uh, yeah oh, that changes <laughs> the whole meaning of it yeah I want to hear that song <laughs> yeah. hold on question mark <laughs> hold on? can you hold on <laughs> can you hold on that's a bit flippant for me I don't know um, yeah I'd give it a go okay. I'd give it a go but no punctuation I'm out <laughs> right, so I'm just going to go through the top 25 here now. Okay. And I guess if, if anyone wants to like say yes, no, boo, whatever, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, so according to Pitchfork, these are the top 25 songs of the 1990s. You ready? 25, A Tribe Called Quest, Can I Kick It? Great. Yeah. yeah. Definitely deserves to be there. Yeah. Paranoid Android by Radiohead at 24. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Believe by Cher. Yes. Come on, yeah. I mean, yes. it's great. It's it is great. I don't know if it's as good as Paranoid Android. That's uh, probably better. Actually. Actually, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking about it being higher on the list. Is uh, a 90 song that I would have heard a lot from my brother playing it, Cannonball by The Breeders. I thought you were going to say Damien Rice there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my God. That's 2000s, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be on the next list. list. Yeah. Um, it's a catchy song. It's really, really good. I don't know if it's one of the greatest songs of a decade. 
Uh, well, here's one for you. Sabotage, Beastie Boys. One of the greatest songs mm. of a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another nine, nodding along. Um, quiz loser, another nine. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Happy, happy birthday, another. Uh, just Listen, we're, we're still dealing with the fallout of that quiz. Number 20, Born Slippy by Underworld. Yeah, it's a great tune. I think so, yeah. Mega, yeah. as they say. Mega, mega white thing. Yeah. It's got to be in there. Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. 19. Yes. Great. Yep. Common People by Pulp, Sarah Times by yeah. Portishead, yeah. Freedom 90 by George Michael. These are yes. all very good yeah, songs. Yeah, they're all strong entries. Number 15, Shook Ones Part 2 by Mob Deep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was very <laughs> strong. Very enthusiastic for that one. Did that feature on the top five? I did. Songs did. about crime, I believe, yeah. Number 14, Criminal by... Nerds. Speaking, speaking <laughs> of crime, it's Criminal by Fiona Apple at number 14. Yeah, that's great. Fade Into You by Mazzy Starr. Great. Lauren Hill, Do Wop That Thing. And number 11 is Daft Punk Around the World. My mate. Insist upon itself. <laughs> Does Slightly. it insist upon itself? Yeah. Doesn't every Daft Punk song insist upon itself? To an extent. No, it's a good song. Yeah. Number 10, Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. Juicy yeah. by Notorious B.I.G. Say My Name by Destiny's Child. Number 8th best song of the 90s. I don't think so. Mm. That's a dubious one. That is dubious. That's poptimism at its worst. Yeah. I mean, it's Pitchfork now, isn't it? It's the new editorial move of just like all mainstream pop is has to be reevaluated and bumped up. Yeah, we were snobby before and now we have to bow down to everything. Number seven, Window Liquor by Aphex Twin. Yes, Absolutely. that should be number one. And what a video. Number six, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Never heard Never heard <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. They don't need me at all. I'll just leave. Craig and Vinny can host the show from now on. <laughs> Uh, the Rain, Super Duper Fly, Missy Elliott, number five. Great, yeah. Really Liz Fair, Fucking Run, number four. Not that, it's not the best song on the album. And <laughs> the late, great Aaliyah is at number three with Are You That Somebody? Yeah, that's a classic. Timbaland. Bjork, Hyper Ballad at number two. Yeah. And number one, according to Pitchfork, best song of the entire 1990s is Fantasy, featuring Old Dirty Bastard by Mariah Carey. Doesn't really make sense to me in terms of placement. Should be in the list, but I think they just overthought the whole list. Did it get a revival because of TikTok? Okay, interesting. I don't feel. I don't feel like that should determine. That should even be a factor. No. Um, I love the fact that Old Dirty Bastard is <laughs> the number one spot. That's great. That is pretty good. I believe there was no um, actual Wu Tang in the entire list. Jesus. There was loads of like offshoot stuff. Um, yeah, Pitchfork does. Is it really relevant? It's interesting if the person who made the list actually grew up in the nineties. Well, yeah, I don't know what the process was. I presume it was like we polled all our staff, and and yeah. I guess the staff are a lot different to what they were a decade ago. Well, like they, they did a previous things, list, yeah, and it time. was the number one song was "Gold Sounds" by Pavement, which is like way down now I guess (laughs) yeah I think you're probably going to come up with two different lists if you're talking from the the point of view of a person who lived and listened to music through the 90s or someone who's listening to 90s music for the first time and isn't and isn't kind of you know in the movement at uh, at that particular moment yeah. You weren't there, man. I've seen yeah, right? watching Friends episodes for the first time. I've seen, I've seen worse lists. It's not bad. Anyway, look, who knows? When they get around to doing their best songs of the 2020s, you gotta wonder if Lapel David by yeah, will be in there. And that's I'm a song. Say no. <laughs> that's a song that sounds a bit like this.
we're back. That is Lapel TV. This is a brand new single from Overhead the Albatross, the comeback single, I would say. It's been a while, guys. And we're joined, of course, by Luke Daly and Vinny Casey of the band. Hello. Hello. Um, this is fun. I'm glad to have you in studio. Thanks for taking the time. This is fun, I say, before I even ask a question. Well, I guess, I mean, like, I guess there's only really one place to start, really, and that's to throw it back to the very first episode of No Encore. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. 2016. We have a clip, I believe, from that episode. Is this okay, or should I not yes, do this? Yes, yeah, I, I, I have a story <laughs> for Arms this. folded. I, I just, I, let, let's, let, let's get some context. Let's get some context. So the context was that we were, uh, very first episode, Overhead were booked, and it was not too long after a gig in the Workman's in which, unfortunately, due to uh, circumstances beyond your control, Wrath of God situation, the gig had to be abandoned at a certain point. So... Um, that's what I'm referring to at the start of this. Uh, let's have a listen. Uh, my kind of abiding memory, uh, the abiding image from that night was actually uh, Vinny Casey on stage, looking just crestfallen, like a child who didn't know where he was. And actually, speaking of Vinny Casey, I just want to—I want it out there. <laughs> yeah. I want this on mic, right? I want Do this have to talk about Vinny Casey. Just real quick, just, like, I'll, I'll get it out of the way, and then we can yeah. never talk about him again. That's cool. Uh, I just want to say that I extended the invite to him to be on this podcast right now, and he's not here, mm. and he's not here because he's craven and he's gutless. And I wanted known. <laughs> That's our Vinny. So okay, that was 2016. That's pretty, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to listen to that just to give context here, right? Because yeah. <clears throat> I could never come to that recording. I was in work, and I let Dave know this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> then that podcast came out. Just about 45 minutes ago, I'm coming home from work, and I was late coming home from work because I was waiting for some people who got caught in traffic. And I burst in the door and I'm like, right, I gotta get ready. And my girlfriend is sitting there and she's like, You're late. And I was like, Yeah, I know. And she goes, You can't you can't uh, let him down again. I stopped in my tracks and I was like, What did you say? She was like, Isn't that what happened last time? And I was like, No! The spin machine has absolutely won out here. My own girlfriend thinks that's what happened, and it is not. Well, you probably ended up telling her that when you were drunk or something. I mean, you can hear there the rest of the band are throwing you under the bus. I guess guess what I wanted to know was, in the time since, how has the Craven and Gutless tag influenced and or improved your life? I think it's it's every day. Every day, it's, it's, it's a battle. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think you can hear it all over this all over this new track. Um, yeah, it's, it was basically the it's the inspiration for the whole album. To be honest with you, I think Luke will agree with me there. Yeah, your <laughs> cowardice is, is kind of what we kind of it's where we generate our musical abilities from. Yeah, yeah it's an energy source yeah. almost. Yeah. So we are getting an album. Did you just confirm that? Yeah, there is an album. Coming, oh, there is yeah. an album. Okay, because sure. I wasn't sure if that was shrouded in secrecy or if that was known. No, no, there's an album coming out next year at some point. Hopefully, stunning. Yeah, Very no good. dates. Uh, yeah, obviously. we're staying away from the from the date thing. Yeah, well, I mean the way we're the way we're approaching this is we're just we're we've we've a bunch of songs that are some are in better you know in closer shape to being finished than others, um, but we're going to just be releasing. We're going to keep releasing, and and we we we're, we hope over the next couple of months that it really comes together and we can just put the whole thing in a package and just release the album towards mm. maybe after the summer next year. So amazing. It's amazing, very difficult yeah. to get five middle-aged men into the same room <laughs> together, you know. Uh, so that's why the process takes so long. Also because we're not very good at our instruments. Yeah. That's not true. That's false. <laughs> that's the real spin. Um, I guess, yeah, well, I mean, like, I guess before we get to the single, which we will get to, of course, Lapel David is the name of it. It is great. Um, 
there was never really an official we're done, right? I mean, there was never like a post. No, like a, and this is the thing, like, like a notes app statement being like it's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the thing. We never, we never, we never broke up. We just. And we never even, it was never even a, a hiatus situation. We just were like, look, the, you know, things weren't feeling great. And we just we just put the brake on it a little bit. And, you know, it, it does feel like we've been gone a long time, but it's, it's actually only been three years and two of them were COVID. So we wouldn't yeah. have been able to do anything there anyway. So if you take that out of it, it's 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 just been the year that we haven't been together in writing. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Back in a flash. That we would have been able to anyway. So yeah. um, it's it just feels completely, it, it just feels like it didn't really happen, the, the break really mm. to me anyway. Yeah. It feels that way for me, like the last five years didn't really happen. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the pandemic just, that was. It, yeah, it really did. Like there was, I forget what age I am. I know, flux in the time space yeah. continuum. Um, but you know, for a band like Overhead, where the music making process is such a kind of communal thing, there's not one person that's got like, I've got a stack of songs on the acoustic, let's get the band yeah. back together. Yeah. How do you reach that point where you get an inkling of like, the creative juices are flowing, I miss the guys? How does it happen that you all kind of come back together again? And how difficult was that? Well, I don't know. I guess after, like a lot of bands, it seems during the pandemic, they've kind of bands that we grew up with in Ireland seem to have gotten back together. Yeah. Uh, you know, after kind of like disappearing for a short period of time, then after the pandemic, during the pandemic, realizing that they missed the uh, creative buzz or whatever. And I think a lot of us were distracted by, you know, life things. And that was kind of re really the reason that we stopped playing together. But I think you miss that opportunity to be creative with your friends and kind of get into a room and just kind of play, really. That's what it is. And so, like you're saying, it's, it's not like there's ever really structures for songs or anyone kind of really has ideas. We do have ideas independently of each other, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> um, when we come into the room, a lot of it is just about kind of just sitting down and just kind of like messing around and seeing what comes out. Um, obviously a lot of the songs are like there's eight minutes long so there takes a to piece them together is the most complicated part of the process really yeah. like you'll have a kind of chord progression and we'll lay down some guitar lines and a drum beat and then trying to get and then we'll have another section that sounds amazing they, do, they definitely sound like they should live in the same world but getting from one section to the next section building that bridge between those two sections is the most complicated part it's because we just you know you're kind of like okay this bit's a breakdown and this is kind of like an ambient kind of uh, melancholic guitar piece here how do we get from this section to this section so that bit is fun and it's always when that's done when the spine of the song is there and you can see it that that is the kind of like the moment where you feel like that the song's written mm. and the rest of it, all the kind of little cherries on top and all the stuff that goes on, that's like, that's the fun bit. But actually kind of breaking down and getting the actual structure of the song, that's the the complex part. And that's really the kind of the, uh, how we write together in the room. So there's not really anyone who has, like like you said, an acoustic guitar or is like, I've got these ideas, let's go and jam it out or anything like that. It used to be a little bit more like that, but because, because, um, it's very difficult to get us all in the same room together. Like, we barely wrote... I don't think even when we wrote this song, I don't think there was actually a point where we were all in the same room together. 
during the writing of the song. There was no point where we were all actually all That's together. a contractual stipulation. But I think as well what really adds to the, the length of, of the writing process as well is that each one of those songs that we're, that we're writing at the moment, even with Lapel de Vide, they were written as completely different songs mm. and then you 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 go this isn't working and take the whole thing apart so you almost for every song you write in each section you write we almost write three or four different times, yeah. t- t- the whole song three or four different mm. times and like we a lot of the structures of these songs and the kind of the, the foundation of them we are we already had written before we kind of took our break and so we thought all right we'll head back into these now and it won't take us that long to get put them together but once you once you start to put it up and I kind of always see it as like a scaffolding around the song and then you start to rip stuff down again and you, you sometimes we end up like unwriting songs yeah. and unwriting sections and all of a sudden you're like, God, there's nothing here anymore. So it's not just like you don't just sit down and just go and then write that part. That part might have been written and rewritten three or four times yeah. until it gets to a point where we're like, this is actually good now. And, es- and especially with these songs now, like we had basically when before we went on hiatus inverted commas or whatever we uh um we had an album essentially nearly nearly finished well it was kind of about 65 percent done but when we when we went on the break obviously that got put on the back burner and no one listened to it for a few years and we came back to it i'm really happy that we did actually kind of leave it where it was at that point because i think that the songs, there's still elements from the original recordings that are, exist in the songs now in their current form, but we matured a lot, I think, mm. individually and just emotionally and also musically, I think, we kind of came back and we approached it in a kind of different way and, yeah, it feels a lot more organic now. I mean, yeah. and I guess one thing was... Uh, to our favourite Dave Prendergast who produced the uh, the song and he's producing the rest of the songs he did spend two years on Ableton getting unbelievably good at it so like when we came back it was like alright oh, Dave's absolutely class now this is going to be way easier exactly. what kind of I mean like something I want to know because like Craig and I went to see your workman's gig there about a month ago yeah. six weeks ago whatever it was and like it was fucking awesome I, my ears were ringing for days afterwards I must bring uh, you know I'm an old man now as well mm. but like it was amazing and I, I, I said to you both like after the show I was like that's the first time even since pre-pandemic times that I actually felt completely free and a escapist and myself at a show I felt totally like just like lifted and like Craig turned to me before the before like literally like at the very start of it and you were like it's only just you're like what you said I've only just realized how great this is gonna be yeah yeah and it, <laughs> it was it did feel like I've been to a few shows um since like post pandemic but that felt like the first one where it's like okay we're back do you know what I mean it yeah. seemed like a kind of line in the sand but also for full context for listeners anyway like you know it goes back to the hot press days it goes back to like you know this is a band that Craig and I have like loved you know mm. irrespective of friendship or whatever like you know for like <laughs> 10 years irrespective of the personalities within we've been, the band like, 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 we've, we've seen you guys <laughs> fucking, almost in spite of it <laughs> I feel like we've seen you guys like, every, like, like everywhere we could you know within our kind of catchment area of Dublin and beyond or whatever so it's been like a journey for a lot of fans ourselves very much included so you know this is one of those interviews where yeah sorry I'm being a bit gushing but like I guess what I want to know between that gig and between like coming back to it despite Vinny's humbleness there about you were not very good at her instruments I just wonder like is this the kind of band where 
if you like, because everyone was doing stuff mm. in the time, like mm. Dave's off doing Ableton and he's also with Codaline. Mm. You know, I believe Ben and Stevie started a side project. Uh, you know, you started a solo thing. And, and you, you work in like, you know, the arts like as well. Mm. You're, you're always doing creative things. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I mean, like, could you realistically like not do anything for three years and then be like, let's just slip back into telekinetic forest guard. I mean, like, it, like must you be continually doing something in the world of music or beyond to just plug back into this because it does seem to us anyway very intricate yeah i i think i think well when you say about telekinetic i i think with us and this is you know i know this is probably annoying for people but in order for us to kind of keep going and kind of keep moving forward we do tend to drop a lot of the old songs that maybe people will or, or, or you know got got to like us is by by listening to, but that was just one example. I'm not like married. No, to that no, song. no. But like <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> I think what we're doing now is, I mean, w- with every time we write a new song, we kind of just want that. That feels like where we are. That feels like the place that we want to be musically, especially now because we've restructured things, uh, especially in a uh, live setting where you know we're 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 just the five piece now. Whereas before we used to add in violins, we used to have different things. So it's just the five piece now. And the the songwriting process has kind of changed because of that, and um, we kind of it's it is difficult. F- I mean, we we could do we could play those songs, and it would be probably fun to do maybe once or twice. But I think it's it's just in order to keep yourself motivated and keep the band interesting and keep it interesting, and if it has to kind of be interesting for us in order for us to make it interesting for everybody else, I think. Mm. Um, it does really need to be a mo- forward movement when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think, but yeah, I do think that like that the fact that everyone wants be, has been. It's not like everyone just stopped doing anything to do with the arts for that period of time. Like Vinny did his own thing, Stevie was doing his own thing, Dave was doing. Dave has his, his own album as well, which is amazing, and he, he, he just he's kind of terrified of releasing anything. Um, and um yeah obviously i've doing the film stuff and kind of prick around on guitar now and then. <laughs> um and ben had his own uh, project as well so i mean yeah like it wasn't like we stopped doing creative stuff like i think that's what you're asking right yeah, is I'm that what you're like d- like does it help like that you're like like i guess like a muscle memory thing yeah like whether it is going back to an old song or or, or just being able to just keep match keep, fit yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah keep the pace and like even like mentioning ben like do you ever see ben at the end of a gig yeah like he looks like a prize yeah. fighter have you ever hugged him at the end of a gig <laughs> no uh, it's I just must. like but hugging it's a funny, sponge it's funny <laughs> when when we did come back um we were playing we before we kind of went into our first rehearsal um, I was just rehearsing on my own at home and I, for the life of me, could not remember how to play a section of HBG. Mm. Just could not remember. And I had to go onto YouTube to, uh, we played it at Other Voices <laughs> and I was I just had to pause it, look and just saw look where my, your fingers. What, what chords I was playing. <laughs> and that's, I was like, oh fuck yeah, that took me like a good... 20 minutes to figure it out <laughs> yeah. watching YouTube so yeah you do I mean you forget things but they do, it, yeah. they do come back to you pretty quickly Vinny obviously like you being venue manager at Workman's you had an interesting couple of years there very yeah. stressful couple like I'm guessing yeah. um, coming out the other side of that and 
diving back into the band, things gearing up a bit. Has it kind of been an emotional time for you of just like, okay, we're back? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think like, the, especially I that that release that you get on stage is is just not, just un, unsurpassed by anything. Um, the live music industry in Dublin especially is my life and mm. and it has been, you know, those two years were really crushing. I was on this podcast um, during that time um, and it was... God, it was it was very rough. Um, so when when we started having shows back again, it was like this huge kind of cathartic moment when we when when the venue was filled again, yeah. and then the only thing that that topped that off was being on stage um, with my friends in front of a big crowd, and everyone just just there enjoying the same thing in the same frame of mind in the same moment. And yeah, it's, God, that was, it was amazing. Uh, let's just take a second to remind ourselves of that new single, Lapel David. Sounds like this. It's called Lapel to Beat. It's out now. Uh, it refers, of course, to The Call of the Void, mm. which uh, I guess, from my understanding, means intrusive thoughts, right? In which something yeah. comes into your head. It's actually a, it's, it's a psychological phenomenon that some people suffer from where you could be standing, and it's nothing to do with the suicide ideation or anything like that. It's... Um, but people get it. Not everyone has it, but like you know, they'd be standing at the edge of the cliff and have the urge to to jump, uh, like a kind of overwhelming urge to jump, or driving a car and wanting to kind of swerve it into to oncoming traffic. And and it's referred to as the call of the void uh, in French, lapel de vie. But they 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 put it down to the thirst for um, adrenaline, mm. like. People who suffer from that are the people who they're always looking for the the next thing to do, or like you know the people who want to kind of go on the biggest roller coasters, or you know push their body to the furthest limits that it can go. Or so yeah, it was is interesting because a mate of mine was telling me that he was suffering 
not suffering from it, but he said as he's gotten older, he's, he said he started getting, and I noticed that I started getting afraid of heights as I got older, and I didn't know why that was, but he he was telling me that he has this urge, just when he started developing it in the last couple of years, and he was just, I could stand on my balcony and I just feel like I, 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 I can't stand too close to the edge because I have this kind of desire to jump off. And I was... He was like, oh, yeah, I'd heard of it. And then I was listening to the radio one day and someone was talking about Lapel David. And I think when the song kind of uh, was finished, there was some sort of... I felt we felt like together when, we, when I proposed the name, I think we felt like that the song definitely reflected that kind of feeling, you know? Mm. And I, th- I yeah. think it was important too that it's the first song in the album because or the first song that we've released because it does feel like we are hurtling ourselves in, into the void again, yeah. you know what I mean? Bring, coming back and doing this stuff. It's it's scary and it's it's um, it's unknown and you really are putting yourself out there creatively and it's it's um, it's never easy to do and, and it's nerve-wracking um, and that's sense of of the call of the void mm. it's like that that want and that need to to write music and and perform is it, it's is in that same mm. vein yeah and yeah. ultimately disastrous as well exactly yeah. 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 chaotic i mean I, I don't think i necessarily quote unquote suffer from that uh, but i definitely have experienced it and oh yeah, yeah I, I had it two weeks ago in rome everyone experiences it to some extent <laughs> what was the one you had in rome i was on my hotel balcony and it was i get it sometimes with it's generally it's not like mountains and stuff it's like if there's concrete or people underneath you kind of go I just jumped over this right yeah, now yeah, to be yeah. like, that would ruin everyone's day. <laughs> just kind of think of it. I've desire to ruin everyone's day. Yeah, That's I guess something so. completely different. Man. I'm sure there's a French term for that as well, yeah. I've had a sport where it's, like, it's almost like a violent urge or something, but I'm like, I know I don't want to actually hit that person. Well, like, you've got a really oh, no. horrific one. Which uh, is, Come it, on. is it the, the tea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, told, I told this to somebody recently and then afterwards so somebody was bad. like, they're like, why did you tell that story? And I was like, because it's, not, I'm like, I don't know, I was just being honest uh, I, I've I have like so I've had it before where I'm like I could be sitting with someone having like you know a, a, a nice hot cup of green tea you're gonna throw the tea over them is this that's, that's, the, that's yeah where like my brain like sends a signal where it's like you know like I imagine in my mind's eye throwing it in their face now that, that wasn't the one I was thinking of whoa, oh no no you're thinking <laughs> the one that I'm getting the one, very the revealing one, here no, no, <laughs> you're thinking the one where the you're one, boiling the, the gas no, no, no no I read that what's that in that cup I read that on the yeah I can't believe I just fucking outed myself as some tea man <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that wasn't you. Okay. Well, yeah, I read on that. the Drennan Send forum because, like, someone put up a thread once about all this, and they were just like, "Is it just me, or has anyone ever experienced something like this?" And then the whole thread was people being like, "Oh my god, I thought it was just me." Here's my one, yeah. and somebody said, "Every time I boiled the kettle, <laughs> I imagine holding the kettle up aloft over my head and then turning it over Ooh. and pouring it on myself." Yeah. And I was like, "Jesus!" But like. I, I've always th- I've always rationalized these thoughts when they occur as like your brain knows that if you were to do this mm. you're ruining your life the person's life in front of you you know etc you're your probably holiday, losing yeah. your job or more innocent one that I've had lately and this is this is one that's kind of concerning me is I'm in the cinema and I'm like what if I just screamed right? <laughs> I just shouted at the cinema as if I was in the film or something. You can only go to horror films now. So. But I had this thing where I'm like, I'm like, oh God. I'm like, what if... And then and then you think, is this going to happen? Yeah. Is this going to become my thing? So if you guys have anything similar you want to share to make me feel I think feel it's just your better. mind searching for chaos. And yeah. It's just a weird part of being a human being. Yeah. 
Yeah. For the record, I don't want to throw hot tea in anyone's face. I mean, I, I just need to underline this. Yeah. That's not something I want to do. Fair, fair. But I, yeah, I, I think it's, 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 your life is not a video game. I notice you don't have a kettle in here. It's padlocked outside. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's that thing of like, you know, I wouldn't get a second chance at this. This is like a, a thing that if you do it, like that's it, mate. No going back. Mm. Um, Might yeah. get away with screaming in the cinema now. Like, think if I you want to do yeah. that, I think you should indulge yourself. You know, just once. Just uh, sample. Sample. Maybe in like an American cinema or something yeah. where it's a bit more socially acceptable. <laughs> I think it's heard. Like, they're the release of Avatar, aren't they? They are, yeah. Just get in there. <laughs> is that the film that you were I mean, I don't know. Like, like, I don't know if this uh, is behavior that'd be reserved for like the Stella or the Lighthouse. Vinnie Casey told me to come to the Stella and share it with the screen during Don't Just Worry Don't his name. Anyway, Vinnie, you mentioned there like, you know, the idea of like it being scary putting yourself out there and I do think that like you know apart from obviously you know me, me being an obvious fucking cheerleader I think the reaction to you guys announcing you know whether it's a comeback or whatever it's just hello where you know the switches are on again it seems like people really do take this band to their to their chests and they do mm-hmm. love what you do uh, has it been nice to kind of experience that kind of warmth from people whether it is a, a, a sold out sweaty workmans or just people messaging you being like oh my god this is great like, do you pay? Like, yeah, it's, how, it's, how much tension? Like, like, how, how much does that matter? It, it. I mean, it matters so much to 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 have people react like that. But it's kind of a double edged sword as well because you feel the responsibility as well about it. Mm, yeah. It's it's a weird thing being in a band because when you do something that people say is really good, you're kind of like, you're, first of all, you're constantly criticizing yourself, and second of all, you're like, oh how can we follow that up now and also when you play a show you come off stage and all you think about is your mistakes and how you messed up and stuff like that so I mean if it wasn't for it, like the, the reaction has been incredible and it really spurs us on it's probably you know it's one of the it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced mm. um, but it does it does kind of come with a, a feeling of um, we better do this justice as well mm. Yeah, I would absolutely. I think that's probably why we put so much, why it takes us so long to do anything because yeah. we're just we are kind of perfectionists when it comes to to um, to the writing process, and it's because we always want to put like we no song is ever a throwaway for us, which is probably like to, you know to to a detriment as well because you know music is fleeting and it comes and goes, and it be it probably would help us if we released more. Um, but I don't think that's what it's about for us. It's about putting stuff out that we really, really believe in at the time and that we're really happy with. And like, yeah, it's yes. Yeah, so, I think we know people take our music seriously, and yeah. we we take it exceptionally seriously. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah, um, but it is nice. It is nice to when you get like uh, you know we were like we played down in um, Galway there last week. What was the name of that festival? Fall right, right into place. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really nice festival actually, and. Um, like there was, you know, like j- during the scratch we're playing and during the, the scratch show, there was like um, a guy, I met an overhead fan at the, at the back of the scratch and while they were giving it socks, he was just like turned to me, just like talking to me throughout the whole gig. <laughs> Man, your gig was amazing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 cool. We watched the scratch. <laughs> it was great. It was a cool guy. Um, but um, yeah, um, so... Yeah, no, it's really nice. It's really overwhelming when you meet people who, who are really into the art, into the music. Um, 
Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Uh, I guess lastly, from my point of view, before I throw back to Craig, um, I'm curious, like, if Overhead ever wound up either a song that you have on a film or if you were asked to score a film, mm-hmm. what filmmaker would you want that oh, to that's be a good question. coming from? That is a good question. Um, let me think. I th- guess... <laughs> well, who would we want to score for... Um, well, you got us on the spot now. This is the thing, yeah. This, uh, did you have any show. thoughts, Dave? That were you? I'm well, sure you I, I were this over. I did feel that Michael Flatley's Blackbird. Definitely, was lacking a certain yeah. sonic panache as I watched that film. In the yeah. did you see it? Did <laughs> I did see, see it. Yeah. yeah. Is it worth nah, watching? Nah, not even really. for an ironic kind yeah. of. Don't don't pay for it, basically. Yeah, yeah. I would say I, that. Yeah, much. well, I, yeah. I don't know if I'd want to pay put any more money into. Uh, I felt guilty Michael afterwards. Yeah. I, I, actually, I actually felt very like I felt like bad. I felt like I'd done something wrong. Um, I'm trying to think now. Who like what directors do I? I? I think I think for me straight away, just because of the Inception soundtrack, it's such a big part. Christopher Nolan, yeah, uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan thing. And I think the reason for it as well that I would choose that and not something more obscure is because Overhead. We've always said this about Overhead is that you know. We're we're a pop band that doesn't have any lyrics. Mm. Yeah. Um, a lot of our stuff is 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 in that vein, and I I would love to score something for, you know, something big and obnoxious and out there, like Inception. Yeah, like, you're right. It would have to be something big and obnoxious, definitely. Uh, couldn't like couldn't you can like can Mog because Mogwai just scored. Um, that uh, series, yeah. Uh, they've scored a series called Blackbird, actually. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, awesome. Which is really good. It's on Apple. It's the Ray Liotta thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're kind of like, I guess they're a lot more downtime. But yeah, we like we'd want a yeah we'd want a full orchestra. We'd want oh, a full it thing. Be, like it would have to be, be something huge. Way yeah. over budget. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. already over budget. And it would be it? like <laughs> yeah, yeah. over budget kind of. Over Very budget, late, under-delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. About two Past years edge. too late for the pro- for the project. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been in development hell for years because of the sound. Yeah, <laughs> we're, already, yeah. we're already on our second advance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like something kind of similar to like a Brian Wilson kind of like you know goats in the recording studio. Yeah, yeah. Watch your like, sound yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Is there other kind of maybe more achievable ambitions for the band at this point? What does it feel like your relationship with it is, you know? What, what do you mean? So you've got the new album kind of done and dusted nearly. Um, no, I no? would not say yeah, that. No, oh, so it's going to be like five years before we hear it then, right? <laughs> well, really yeah, right. Next year. Yeah, we'll be next year. We're putting the parameters on it. I mean, the next single isn't even finished. Um, and so, so really, like the next achievable thing for us is the next single. And the next achievable thing after that will be the single after that. Can so, it be the one, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but can it be the one that you did live at that show? It will and, be one of those. Yeah. And uh, Luke did vocals on it. Yeah, yeah. Like massive attack, <laughs> yeah. So probably something like that. That yeah. better be the next one, guys. I'm yeah. not waiting a year to hear that oh, again. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It will be that one, or that will be the next one, or the one after. We, be- yeah. we basically have three more songs that are kind of you know on the cusp of being ready. Nice. Uh, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. I mean, you did have to leave the country last time just to get the album kind of in just to get it started. It yeah. We left for three months and came back with two percent of the album. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that is really our goal at the moment. Um, even when it comes to like live dates, we're going to be announcing a, just a small Irish tour at the end of the week. 
Um, but we um, are still very much just concentrating on the music and and that's what it's, it always has to be that because there is the, there, you know, we're still in a very similar position to where we were before we kind of took the hiatus where we're, we're still all really busy doing our, our, mm-hmm. our own things. So we, we really need to, to be there musically for each other and, and make sure that everybody is, is picking up the slack because, um, that needs to be where how the band is is guided. It needs to be by, by about the music. Um, so ambitions outside of that are are kind of fleeting and 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 not very. I, th- not I, th- I mean, I guess on finishing the album is one of the obviously the first main ambition. But I think if we were all to be honest about it, I think what we'd all love to do and just experience once. And I think it's one of the big regrets we have from when we were playing before before we took the break was just doing a tour abroad. Mm. Like that would be just to kind of experience and to play in front of post-rock fans or yeah. t- to play in front of like audiences that are there <laughs> to see the music. Obviously, if we go, we play the workmen's here and we pack that out or whatever and then we go to uh, Galway we might not even sell out the Roisin you know there might be a kind of group of people who've heard of us or we play in Kilkenny and when we last time we played in Kilkenny I don't think anyone showed up for the first song <laughs> like you know like a couple of people came in halfway through so it would be really really nice to experience playing to crowds that are really into instrumental music yeah. and you know there are obviously pockets around Europe where you could play where you, people want to hear that there's trails that you know so I watched from afar toured for over a year like playing gigs pretty much every day around the world so there are places that we should be playing that we just haven't ever managed to get to so I think ambition wise I think it's a bucket list and it's all about experience for us it's all about just having the experiences and the experience of writing music together obviously is amazing but to have the experience of actually being able to go around and tour together and play to crowds that really want to hear you that would be an, another amazing experience and I remember like just um, you know we played with God as an astronaut um, a few years ago in, in London and like you know playing to a post-rock crowd who were there really really to like zone into the music mm. I mean it is kind of strange because like there's no one is moving in the, in the audience <laughs> whatsoever it was, it they're was all just like experience. standing there completely frozen like statues you feel like playing, you're playing to that terracotta army or something it's like they were really hanging on every note like you know every intricate part that you put loads and loads of work into and you're like filtering certain things on in the backing track because oh to you that's amazing but they were all there listening to it and yeah, like yeah. so it would be really nice to be get the opportunity to play to people who you know who were fans you know yeah. and i think that's well um, i don't know about you craig but uh, i've always wanted to go to japan and <laughs> i would follow yeah, japan, yeah, yeah. of course overhead yeah. the albatross it's luke daly vinnie casey overhead the albatross is the band lapel david is the new single and please cherish it until we get the next one thanks for coming in guys no problem thanks Cheers. for having us and i'll never call you craven and gutless again <laughs> i don't believe you <laughs> <laughs> until <try>. next time
That was Overhead the Albatross. Delighted to have them in studio. Now, before we get to our top five, just a quick reminder that it is patreon.com slash noencore. If you want to help support this show, you don't got to pay us any money. Well, I guess Patreon would imply that you should pay some money. Yes. Uh, price of a pint or whatever you feel yourself. We will have a new episode of No Oxcord coming soon. So recommends Gorner. We haven't done one in a very long time, as is always the case. The Patreon exists to support this show if you feel like you are enjoying it and getting your money's worth or whatever. I don't know. Craig, help me out here. Yeah, if you feel like you're not getting your money's worth, uh, give anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he said it best. Patreon.com slash Court. And of course, as always, if you're listening to the show, if you just tune in for the overhead interview, stay with us. We've got a top five coming up. Mm. Every episode we do a top five. We have a theme. Craig picks five things. I pick five things. We don't know what each other has chosen. They're related, generally. Yeah, yeah. but we'll see. So anyway, before we get there, though, I, I have to throw something out real quick. And I mean quick, because we don't want a four-hour episode here. Craig, if I texted you and I said, don't get a bottle of water, I have a two-liter bottle of water in the fridge, would you think that I was telling you, like, what would you expect to find when you got here? A two-liter bottle of water in the fridge? Opened or unopened? Full or not full? Um, I would say full. Yes. Yeah, if you give quantity, that's kind of like, yeah, you're setting someone up for that amount of liquid. Yeah, so when I arrived here earlier on, on the promise of a two-litre bottle of sparkling water from Sonic Architect Adam, who said, keep your money in your pockets, sir. I've got a two-litre bottle of sparkling water in the fridge. (laughs) I I, I go to the fridge, I take out the water, and my hand, I almost dropped a cray because the... The The dregs? The substance... The dregs. Sorry. Backwash. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I will say. No, there was about a third of it gone, I would say. Oh, well, that's... Absolutely not. (laughs) But essentially, the point is... By one glass. I was was deceived, Craig. I was betrayed. (laughs) So you agree. One glass out of it's okay. I'm not going to... But again, if I said to you, I've got a pint waiting for you, and you arrived, and I drank half the pint, would you not be like, that's not the same thing? I will say in Adam's defense, if you were buying a bottle of sparkling water, you would have been getting a like one of the smaller bottles. So as long as he's got that quantity of sparkling it's water, he's got you covered, right? It's, it's, it's the language, it's the promise of something that wasn't quite kept, but it's fine. Sparkling pre- semantics I, is I, what it is. <laughs> welcome back to sparkling semantics. <laughs> but the point is, Craig, I wanted that two liter bottle of water after what was in fact a hard day of work. <laughs> Time for our top five, everybody. It's top five songs about work, top five songs about late stage capitalism maybe you could say um, why are we doing this top five uh, because of that professional remorse I mentioned at the start of the show I'm going to vent baby but nothing specific anyway the point is <laughs> <laughs> not for now anyway we'll see <laughs> we'll see what comes down the road give me a month maybe anyway here's the thing right top five songs about work I was surprised we didn't do this before it is top five songs about work everyone works you know everybody works OEM said that so anyway, it's one of those situations where I guess, you know, on paper, I think this might look like a boring top five. I don't think that it is, though. But I did think that it was kind of a, a drier well than I thought it might be in terms of, you know, requisite playlists, long form articles on the Internet and my yeah. own kind of brain capacity. I reached my top five quite well, but I uh, it took a bit of work, ironically enough. I grappled with <laughs> I grappled with um, a bunch of songs. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a dry well, maybe because certainly in years gone by, in more um, fruitful, bountiful years for the music, music industry, um, artists wouldn't really have the whole experience of the day job necessarily. Um, going through like some of the potential options, there was a lot of kind of quite naive, like... <laughs> 
kind of punky songs of just being like clearly someone in their 30s writing about like that summer they tempt in an office and they're like yeah fuck the 9 to 5 <laughs> so maybe it's not within their realm of experience although these days I guess if you're an artist you're probably also a person involved in late stage capitalism as a day job and I guess music is like your escape from it so yeah. why would you want to necessarily venerate or even just get down to the nitty gritty about it but there is a lot of kind of inspiration around the place if you go looking for it yes. and I don't know about the complexion and the tone of your top five Craig but mine is definitely veering towards at least to begin with uh, a bit of a bit of aggravation I would say and mine's all positive because <laughs> you love work <laughs> work bitch that's my number one spoiler alert uh, um, right I'll kick it off yeah so top five songs about work and here's my number five going to work on Maggie's Farm no more. It's Maggie's Farm. It's a song by Bob Dylan, but that mm. wasn't Bob Dylan, was it? Who was that? It was Rage doing their yeah, famous cover of that. I love the original. I love this one. It completely fits into their worldview, so it made sense that they would cover it. Yeah, it's Rage Against the Machine's cover of Maggie's Farm by Bob Dylan, taken from the 2000 Rage Against the Machine album Renegades, which, apart from a live proposition, remains their final ever album, which I still struggle with. Uh, sorry, I said it was from 2000. It's not from 2000, is it? Oh, it is. It is, yeah. It is, yeah, because yeah. Battle of LA is 99. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Renegades was one of those weird records. It's kind of this hodgepodge of odds and ends and covers and you know a couple of originals but like I think it's good I think it has a bit of a weird reputation and I do maintain that all these years on the world could desperately use another Rage Against the Machine album from scratch please please do it guys they don't seem to be interested though Um, this Bob Dylan song was quite controversial in its day Craig of course he played it at the Newport Folk Festival Judas. Uh, it's when he went electric. <laughs> yeah. But there's all these kind of, you know, the crowd apparently went mental because he dared to go electric. But then people like Pete Seeger and others have said, no, he just had a terrible sound mix and we couldn't hear him properly. And that's why people were annoyed. It wasn't because of some kind of arch statement. But I think the narrative was formed by journalists afterwards, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, listen, I should say, I'm no Bob Dylan expert. For for Bob Dylan experts, go listen to Craig and Zara Hedeman on the Top 5 Bob Dylan songs episode. Regular from Dylanologist, too. Yeah, I, I could never be accused of being, of being that. Did you ever finish that Top 5? Did you ever listen to it? So Rage Against the Machine, the thing with them is um, <laughs> I could definitely consider myself a, a rageologist or, or a Zach Della Rockologist. Does that work? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I don't care if it doesn't work, it sounds funny. <laughs> so I uh, love Rage Against the Machine, they're great. Uh, and I enjoyed this song about, you know, getting pissed off at your job and saying, fuck it, man, I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Is this going to be your straight through top five? I'm quitting. Uh, fuck. I will. I'm opting out. Um, I think. I think it's kind of a yeah. Mainly. I mean, like, like not entirely, but mainly. Yeah. yeah. Mainly. Yeah. So I'm probably gonna have a lot of the same sentiment. More simmering than melancholic is kind of the 
We'll see, we'll see. Uh, I don't want to spoil I think, anything. I, I think this could be the most simmering. This might be the most aggressive one I have on my list, though. It is a great cover, though, isn't it? It's really I, good, yeah. I wondered really if well. there was a lot more social commentary to this track, if it, ha- if it was, in fact, an allegory for racism or slavery or something. But I think it's just about quitting your job. I could be wrong. I'm not a Dylanologist. I did look it up, The problem though. with Dylan songs is you can read so much into them, and people do, that you could just get totally lost. And, and you can project whatever you want upon it. Yeah, yeah. I guess Rage, like, like right, this is around, like, on that album, like, Rage were doing covers, like, you know, How It Could Just Kill Him man and stuff mm. like this as well um which i think are just a lot of fun like yeah. i think they're just having fun <laughs> and what's more fun, than, a, what's more fun than hating your job yeah yeah that's true all right we do my number five yeah um i'm already starting to doubt my 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 top five slightly why um because my number five is an artist I'm now picking for the second time in a calendar year. <laughs> I don't really listen to that much and I can't believe I'm doing it. But this is an amazing song. Anthony works in the grocery store Saving his pennies for Sunday Mama Leone left a note on the door She said, Sonny, move out to the country Mama, working too hard to give you a heart attack Is that all you get for your money? And it seems such a waste of time If that's what it's all about Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm Opting out of the system um, Yeah, rebel without a cause The piano man himself, Billy Joel With moving out um, brackets, Anthony song uh, I adore this song. I adore a surprising number of Billy Joel songs I've realised in the last couple of years, despite, I think, owning none of his albums bar Stranger. This is from The Stranger. Um, previously, he featured in top five whistling songs, I believe. Um, and it was the title track. And I think this is a bit of a masterpiece. It's a strange song. And he does strange songs occasionally because he obviously has the syrupy um dreadful stuff <laughs> there is there is awful stuff <laughs> lurking here, in folks. his back catalogue Uptown Girl which is the kind of complete well it's him doing his kind of working class roots thing but do you it's hate just Uptown Girl? Up. oh I can't stand you, that you song you hate Uptown Girl? yeah now maybe maybe oh, hang on I'm not maybe having it's, this maybe it's the Westlife cover that's seeping into my memory of they the original they made it better yeah I agree <laughs> no I'm kidding Uptown Girl is a really good song it's not bad I just you know I've got a thing with big oh 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 melodies it's just laziness to me Okay. Um, Take and that. it's too sunshiny. Take that, Uptown Girl. Lazy song, <laughs> says Craig. This is not a lazy song, no. This is wonderful. <laughs> um, the rhythm of it... Like, Sorry, what's this called again? Moving Out. Right. It's got an apostrophe as well, so you know he means it. Um, <laughs> it's a really good piece of songwriting where it's just... It's kind of looking at... Um, Different nationalities arriving in America, chasing the American dream, and he's essentially like, eh, really, you're just like, you want a Cadillac and you're not going to actually follow your creativity, you're just going to like buy into the system. Um, That sucks, man. Look at me, I'm the piano man, I'm going to play the piano and get rich. And there is that weird dichotomy of like, he ended up being, you know, the extremely wealthy guy that will be like, most of the gigs he does these days will be like at oh, the Hamptons. Stadium and, size. You know, yeah. Oh yeah. Or, sorry, yeah, yeah. Like for, he's, or, or yeah. Specifically he's, for rich people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's constantly playing Madison Square Garden, I assume. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's in that kind of upper echelon now, but he just started as a rough and tumble guy from 
Long Island. See, he performed Long... with Olivia Rodrigo recently. Oh, really? Because she references Billy Joel in, oh, of course. in yeah, her yeah, great yeah, song yeah, yeah. Deja Vu, which is the best song on that album. And I, me- I remember I was like, I was like, I don't buy that Gen Z are listening to Billy Joel. But you she, never know. She did a performance and he was there. And she got pilloried for it. Like there was clips doing the rounds and she wasn't singing terribly well. Okay. And they were like, she fucking sucks. It's over, bro. And all I was the, like, oh. All the Joel heads were... All the Joel heads were right in force. I mean, I was like, maybe she was nervous. It wasn't the best vocal performance I've ever heard in my entire life. But, you know, I thought it was a cute moment. I could imagine him being an influence on just knowing some of her songwriting. Uh, like I've thought before that he might have been the original Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> you know, just Hell of a statement extremely here. Extremely American writes uh, songs that are almost like short stories and get into the kind of nitty gritty of like American society in a way that like... Bruce Springsteen has his own angle. That's a completely different genre. But yeah, I can. I think there's a true line there. Um, but So what is it about this song that, that does it for it's you? It's that weird rhythm. It's got this very biting, strange undercurrent. There's like a couple of different layers of things going on at once that I can never quite figure out. And then it's topped with this song that could be delivered as a ballad, but it's not at all. Um, it's a bit Benny and the Jets, isn't it? It's got It's got a groove to it. It's got a bit of a groove. There's nothing wrong with that. Benny and Jets is a masterpiece. I think he, at his best, he's he's right up there with Elton John. Just American Elton John and Taylor Swift. And I will say, the reason this snuck into my list, and now I'm deeply regretting it. Why? Why are you regretting it? Because I left off The Clash. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> The Clash song was probably the fucking best. Well, I didn't include Clampdown. But I had to include this because I remember distinctly, five years ago, six years ago, listening, maybe it's more at this point, listening to this song as I walked down Dame Street into work in Hot Press Towers on the day I knew I was handing in my resignation. Excellent. (laughs) And it gave me a little pop, put a kind of uh, pep in my step and I was like, yeah, no, today's the day, it's time to move on. Had a great time there, but need to have that hard conversation and this helped that hard conversation. So yeah. You, um, Memories of that song. You hung on Hopper a surprisingly long amount of time. Five years, a- man. After I left. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> there was nothing left for me. I, I don't know why yeah. you stayed, but you it did. two years of utter hell. Yeah. Oh, missed you every day. <laughs> so, um, the next song is very much a continuation of the theme, including referencing the song I just picked. Here's my number four. placebo and it's slave to the wage and aren't we all it's uh from the album black market music which came out in 2000 uh their third record and i remember like it's called black market music and i remember like you know at the time it was all the rage to like copy cds you know like yeah. you copy a cd and i couldn't piracy copy isn't cool though dave piracy is not cool and i certainly wasn't engaging in piracy but if i had been engaging in piracy as a teenager yeah i would have discovered that for some reason this cd wouldn't copy and i was like is it called black market music for like is this like a thing have they somehow put in some weird technology or is it just some kind of weird glitch i don't know all i know is slave to the wage which does reference maggie's farm there's a version in which he calls her a bitch there's a version in which he calls her a witch one's for radio one isn't um it's a straight ahead kind of jam. I think Placebo are very good at this kind of song. I quite like them. I, I I will often go through phases where I 
will listen to them for like a solid month and then never listen to them again for like two years. Yeah. Um, this song samples Pavement, apparently. Uh, the intro of Texas Never Whispers. Oh, yeah. It, that kind of eerie, yeah, chiming thing. That's yeah, news that to me. Um, yeah, yeah, not a ton to say about this one apart from I think Placebo are a very good greatest hits band. This would definitely be in there. And it is, of course, about, you know, the rat race and just being caught in a fucking machine and being crushed by it and how you're just a fucking number, which unfortunately is true. Uh, but he talked about, uh, speaking in 2009, the Kerrang, Brian Malko from Man Placebo talked about this album. And he said, uh, we had a real swagger and bravado when we went to the studio for this one. We had just come off a really successful tour, and I felt that we'd really exploded. We felt like cowboys of rock. We were also really heavily medicated and beginning to get quite deep into drugs. <laughs> that's probably why it took nine months to make this album. The drugs also contributed to a certain amount of arrogance. At least that's what I remember from the time. I think we had a desire to write about the world that we saw around us. We thought it was cool that though other people were a little afraid to get deep down and dirty, we could take it on ourselves to write about these things. That album was the start of us trying to mix in genres. We had so much hatred for rap rock bands like Limp Bizkit and all they represented, misogyny, homophobia and commercialism, that we wanted to do our own version of it. So I guess they were trying to have some kind of weird ironic thing. But like, this is a good album. Like, There's some great tracks on there like Taste and Men. I think Hemoglobin's on there. That's a fucking great one. Um, I have a real soft spot for this. This would have been playing around my Ghetto Blaster stereo when I was fucking 16 or something. And... Yeah, not having to worry really about work, which would then come along and ruin everyone's lives because work <laughs> sucks and people treat you like shit. Next no, up for true. you, Craig. Um, next up for me isn't The Clash. It's a it's the fourth <laughs> best <laughs> band <laughs> in Holes. What a good place to be. Don't believe The House Martins, it's happy hour. Paul Heaton and the lads, the lads including um, the future Fat Boy Slim. Uh, his, his start in the 80s was this jangly kind of Smithsian um, band that, yeah, self proclaimed fourth best band in Hull. I can't remember what the other three were. I think everything but the girl were, Paul Heaton said they were better, which might be fair. Um, but doing himself a bit of a disservice. I think he's slightly slept on as a lyricist and a songwriter because he is, um, and this band are deeply, deeply uncool. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, and, wait, what's less cool? The House Martins or the Beautiful South? Oh, I would say... Beautiful South. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Beautiful South had bigger hits. Some terrible hits, some, though. Some very kind of like veering on, verging on novelty type stuff. I thought they were awful. But the House Martins released ca- that cover of Caravan of Love, which is just like an a cappella, like obviously Brothers weird. That that might be the cheesiest moment. But if you ignore all that kind of stuff, <laughs> really good <laughs> lyricist. And yeah, they're like that. They're not the kind of uncool that is cool within music. They're not like the Smiths, where it's like you know. Early Morrissey was uncool in a deeply, deeply cool way because he actually looked really handsome and he was kind of suave and, you know, that kind of way. Whereas Paul Heaton is a man who I've interviewed before and it was a fascinating chat, but you will talk for 20 minutes about his, like, crisp packet collection. For fuck's sake. Yeah, he collects crisp packets. He, like, keeps them in files. Um, yeah, he collects, like, football badges, all kinds of stuff. He's a bit of a hoarder. Football badges is fine. Crisp packets. Yeah. Um, Gross. But like an avowed um, 
socialist, um, stands up for workers' rights. Like I think when they're, they're they had their first big hit, they celebrated by um, going to like um, support coal miners on strike. That's cool. Like they're very much that kind of band, which is great. That is a cool thing. And yeah, f- this taken from the album London Nail Hull Four, which is a great album title. And this is kind of work adjacent, right? Because it's like the culture and work. It's about that like dreadful, depressing concept of the happy hour which apparently originated in like the 1980s when this song would have come out about 1986 where it's just like yeah there's like cheapo drinks just as you leave work and you like desperately need a drink (laughs) and you're being maybe dragged out by people you're kind of shoved together with for like you know hours on end every working day of your life that you've nothing in common with and the boss is like an absolute lech and yet he's trying to take you under his wing and you don't want to be under his wing and Paul Heaton talks about like writing this song he's like it was based on um, you know they're from Hull he was like I'd been living in Sheffield I moved down to London to work in like an office and just before lunch like all the kind of uh, all of my colleagues would come in with like their brill creamed hair and be like let's go down to pub for lunch and like there's some sweet birds down there and he's like it was awfully sexist we didn't talk like that in Sheffield I'm kind of like hey, really no one in Sheffield is a bit of a okay Paul but he was just like god I hate these like city trader types like it was very much Thatcherism to bring that back and like yuppieism and him kicking against that and a great example of a jaunty tune and you know, he's talked himself about like hearing when this song became a massive hit out of the blue. Um, he heard reports from like pub landlords that like this song would come on in a pub and the very people he was lampooning would like be dancing on the tables to this and be like, yeah, it's happy hour. Um, so subversive, great. And check out the House Martins, maybe. There's some absolute gems there. Like he's a bit of a hidden genius. Okay. But, you know, a side of cheese. Uh, number three for me, I think... Many people would think that this guy's a genius. I've only gotten it in short bursts. And this is one of them that I actually encountered when I was a kid seeing a summer blockbuster and later was like, wait, that was them? Here's my number three. So, that's Bad Days by The Flaming Lips, and I just like to clarify that I don't hate my boss, and I don't want to blow his head off. I actually quite like my boss. Um, But here's the thing. Um, It's Flaming Lips, it's Bad Days. I saw a film in the cinema in 1995, a summer blockbuster, and this is in it. Can you name it? Um, It had a hell of a soundtrack that we talk about to this day. You mean the year again, sorry? 1995, the summer of 95. This was the biggest fucking movie that year. Like, I mean, the, the anticipation was huge. 1995? So I'm like 11 or 10 and I'm watching this movie. This, oh, man. This plays over a sequence in which a character essentially kind of discovers their true villainous self. Is this in a Batman? This is in Batman Forever. This is what? in Batman Forever as Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey becomes the Riddler. Is it? Yes. That's incredible. I know. Because he hates his boss. Yeah, yeah. And he's there in, in his, like, thing, and he's, like, fucking, you know, he's got his, like, Riddler thing, and, like, this is playing while he's, like, in his workshop or whatever. So, yeah, I was, like, 
And like this song also, like, you know, the clip we played there, like, you know, it, it does actually kind of kick in and take off. It becomes really fucking like out of control. Yeah. Uh, it's from the seventh Flaming Lips album at the time. How many albums? Have they, I think they had like 16 studio albums at this point. That's fascinating because, yeah, and they'd had, I think they'd had a hit in about 91 with she, she Don't Use Jelly. But like they didn't become like the Flaming Lips, like the critically acclaimed, commercially successful band that I guess they are now. Till the Soft Bulletin, which was 99. So this is in this, that then, weird like, interland yeah, of them. versus the Pink Robots, which was 2001, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, but this is mixed in, but, like, obviously you got U2 are on the soundtrack, the Seal song. Um, Don't just say the Seal song. Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, was in, like, I think it was the second song into the credits. They, yeah. they should have utilised that song far better. Very, very weird. But it had the video, I suppose. Yeah. But the album, like the, the the Batman Forever soundtrack, which, you know, only five of the songs from the soundtrack actually featured in the movie, including this one. But also on the soundtrack that was sold, you had Brandy, The Offspring, Method Man, Nick Cave, Michael Hutchins, PJ Harvey, and Massive Attack. Jeepers. Who put that together? I don't know, but... Fair play to them. So this is from the seventh album of the Flame Lips called Clouds Taste Metallic. Do you know where that title comes from? Um, Wayne Coyne being on LSD? You would think so, but apparently former Tool bass player Paul Damore told a story to Wayne Coyne about flying through a cloud in a roofless airplane and the pilot said, you know, it's weird, clouds taste metallic. That was my second guess. So there you go. Um, yeah, I like the song. It's like rough and ready and it kicks off into a big kind of crescendo, which I quite enjoy. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, where do I know this from? And then I like retraced my steps and was like, holy fuck. So when I'm like 10, I'm listening to the Flaming Lips and not even realizing it. Incredible. And I don't hate my boss. He's actually a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit of fun, as our top fives always are. Speaking of a bit of fun, this isn't The Clash. Ferdinand, Jacqueline from their debut album, Franz Ferdinand, the opening track, and what a storming opening. Um, just, this was one of those clips, you know, we often talk about struggling to find the perfect moment and sometimes wanting to combine bits of songs to get a flavour of all of them. I really wanted to find a way to fit in that incredible, wistful, acoustic opening where um, Alex Caprano sets the scene of this old kind of washed up dude Ivor um, lusting after a 17 year old girl uh, like working a kind of temp job uh, in an office and then it switches to her perspective quite incredibly apparently based on Ivor Cutler the poet and musician who's like an older guy um, that um, the band were kind of fans of and one of their friends was the aforementioned Jacqueline and she recounted this story of like working with him and getting on great with him and him kind of like basically saying, is there any chance we could kind of hook up? And she's like, why would I want to hook up with you? You're like 70. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And Alex Brown has had this thing of just like, I can't imagine how devastating that moment was for him, even though like it's kind of completely a ridiculous scenario. And there's some great lyrics there about just like looking at someone and seeing their expression and then seeing your true self looking back and still thinking you're a young kind of man. But it all ties into this thing of like, He's kind of working her too hard. Anyway, he's like sucking the life out of her. He's spent his whole life working and it's this 
cycle kind of of abuse that capitalism is on all of us. Um, we're all gaslit into living these ridiculous lives. And um, yeah, I just love that simple principle of like, it's always better on holidays. That's why we only work when we need the money. Like it's kind of very punk, but in a very like throwaway fun way. It's just a mantra that kind of works. And Franz Ferdinand were a great band that had lots of those kind of like... They clearly thought a lot and were quite philosophical heads and they had a great kind of ethos as a band. But on top of that, they had like great party songs. Yeah. Their, their arrival yeah. was, they kind of changed, like they, they arrived a couple of years into that, like, you know, guitars are back um, <laughs> thing. And yet they somehow found a way to do something different. And they were a bit more, they were just always a bit more intelligent, um, you know, a bit more kind of dashing and just... Um, I don't know, the kind of band we deserved at that time to be big. And they were big. And then it kind of, the second album, they followed it up mad quickly. It did well. And then they took five years to do their third. And it was kind of all over at that level. First album's amazing. Yeah. Uh, second album has its moments. Although I did pick it, didn't I, for like most overrated or something? Or I picked it for something that you were like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, it was, it, it was I, it, I what top five very was, much but. a case of, you know, that, that thing that was leveled at Room on Fire by the Strokes for ages, that it was just like diminishing returns, like more of the same. Yeah. Um, and I think it's truer of that than it is on Room on Fire. I like the third album. I yeah, think it's interesting. Yeah, tonight, wasn't it? Tonight with Franz Ferdinand. Yes. Remember they had the idea they were initially going to call every album they ever released Franz Ferdinand mm-hmm. and have the same <laughs> <laughs> album artwork and just slightly change the colours and the label's like, you're not doing that. There is a like, band Dom, called, was like, there's a band I, I was into for a time called The Bronx and they've called every album The Bronx. That's fantastic, yeah. yeah. And then so the second one was um, You Could Have It So Much Better with, with Franz Ferdinand, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great, uh, great choice. You Thank love you. this song, and oh, it's it, is, great. it is a great song. Okay, so I'll, 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 uh, uh, can't even speak. I will upbeat the tone, which makes no sense. I will upbeat make upbeat the, the tone. <laughs> Welcome back to upbeat the tone um, with me, the Tone Man. Um, so my number two is a lot more upbeat. Here it is. Sheena Easton and it's 9 to 5 mm. also known as Morning Train when it was released in uh, Canada and America to avoid confusion with Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 uh, this is a hell of a song I think it was written by Flory Palmer possibly yes Flory Palmer wrote this Sheena Easton what's happening? we are experiencing technical difficulties please stand by Okay, so if you heard screaming in that last section there, listener, and if you correctly guessed Fox on Adam's Roof. Fox on the Roof. It was a Fox on the Roof. I, I just heard scream. I was like, what the fuck is that? It was that? haunting, wasn't it? It was genuinely frightening. I thought it was someone's phone gone off. Plus, it's dark now because it's like, you know, autumn. We're that approaching was, Halloween, you know, things are oh, getting uh, a little strange. Uh, sp- spook month is coming, man. I, I've got my list of 31 horrors to try and watch in 31 days. 
We can have talk. you done that before? I have done that before. Did 31 t- and 31. I did 31 and 31 two years ago. I watched 31 Horrors in 31 Days, and I finished on Halloween, the original. And then that night in the gaff, Richard and Zara were like, "We l- let's watch this. So I ended up watching 31 Horrors in 31 Days, but I watched 32 films that year, that month, because I watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days <laughs> as part of Horror Month, uh, which yeah, was about right. horrifying in its way. And then I tried to do it again last year, but I only got halfway through it. So I've got a list. We'll see. We can talk about it in the next episode. Let's keep going. It's Sheen Easton, 9 to 5 morning train that you heard there before the Fox incident. And uh, yeah, it's a hell of a song, really. A British singer written by Flory Palmer. This was her second ever single, I think. It was released in the UK in 1980, then in American Canada in 81. Bit of a hit. Adam was telling me off mic there, and I think he's correct, that it shows up in the film Euro Trip when Vinnie Jones plays this faux Man United fan who can't wear Man United merch in the movie. You'll, wa- you'll re-watch that in October? I saw that a couple of years ago, actually, with the aforementioned Richard Chambers. We watched it like on his birthday. That makes it sound like it's his favourite film or something. It was just on TV. Um, it's not a great film. But I'm imagining that. him and you in party hats just like watching Euro Trip. <laughs> I go to the cinema and I shout Euro Trip until they put it on. Um, it's not a bad film, but it's not a great one and it is slightly problematic, I'm sure. But it's got that great Matt Damon song, even though he didn't sing it. Um, Scott, you doesn't know for anyone who doesn't know. Good little tune. And if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Uh, she and Easton nine to five. Though, what I remember this from? Yeah, it's about a woman who spends all day at home waiting for a man to come home from work. It's some kind of irony to it, I suppose. Um, but it's very upbeat and well put together. And I fondly remember its usage in a Seinfeld episode when Kramer finds himself actually having to have a job for a while <laughs> and so he's like literally like you know you get a montage of him getting on a train he's in a suit and he's got a briefcase and it's all Beautiful. like fish out of water comedy but yeah it's just a beat and fun and remember it makes its usage in that St. Vincent album do you remember that was like <sighs> which, which we didn't love whatsoever it was was it my like baby wants a baby was it? she wrote she wrote a song and then she realised the melody was the exact same oh. as 9 to 5 by Sheena Easton so obviously credited Sheena Easton and the you know the original writer. Um, Good for her. Just didn't work. No, I mean <laughs> it was like the catchy thing on the album. Yeah, uh, I don't want to talk about Saint Vincent. All right, let's talk about a different act altogether. Then let's um, talk about an iconic four piece from London. That's not the Clash. <laughs> <laughs> Blur and it's Yuko and Hero from The Great Escape which was the follow up to Park Life uh, it's the closing track and probably the best song on that album there's some really good stuff on The Great Escape and there's some not so good stuff as they turned into a bit of a caricature of the Park Life band I think um, still very tuneful and very good because it's Blur but they needed a refresh pretty quickly after that so yeah they started listening to Pavement and All Was Right in the World opened the next album with like Beetleboom and it was it was great but uh, yeah this kind of closed that era of Britpop really and it's it's one of I think Damon Alburn's great character studies. It's telling to me that he's writing about 
these two uh, fictional characters in Japan who are living that kind of, you know, quite cliched life we hear about, um, where it's everything is kind of revolving around the company you work for. And for decades, this was the system whereby they gave you everything you needed. There was a huge amount of security, but you worked extremely long hours and you were kind of institutionalized in a way. I know a lot of that culture kind of still exists, but around about this time, I think it was the time of like the last decade when some of these companies started failing and Japanese economy was hitting the skids and suddenly these people were, that were utterly devoted to their corporation, almost like it was a religion, um, found themselves unemployed. Uh, so an interesting time in Japan. And I think he, he writes about it in a way that's very relatable. It doesn't feel like um, tourism, really, cultural tourism to me. It's I think it's telling that this is like deeply melancholic and affecting and heartbreaking about this couple that just spend time together on a Sunday and are barely getting through the week with these kind of long hours. Um, and it's closing this kind of like this twilighty vibe of the record. And at the other end of the album, they open with very, very British character studies and Charmless Man and um, songs like that, where you're just like, he's kind of phoning this in. He's got no empathy for these um, Ray Davies style characters that he's writing about. Um, but he does for Yuko and Hero. And I think it's one of his most kind of quietly devastating songs. And he's a man that does quite devastation really, really well. So, um, I mean, I was trying to veer away from devastation. You know? I'm always veering into devastation. <laughs> Careening into it rather, because <laughs> yeah. like that's I mean, my like, void. I mean, like uh, my number one, right? I mean, like I guess it's not. I don't know if it's devastating, but it's definitely. I, I think it is melancholic. It's couched in beautiful harmony, and I felt that this was the right choice. And I and I learned something new about it this week. So here's oh. my number one song is about work. Let's go. Manic Monday, it's the Bangles, it's a banger. Mm. Who wrote it, Craig? Prince. I'll tell you who wrote it. Prince wrote it. He's the fella <laughs> that left many, many was. women over the years it and ran off with young ones. It is, in fact, Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson. I didn't know that it was written by Prince until just today. Oh, which really? Maybe ignorant of me, but uh, a song I would have heard growing up quite a lot. Bangles are good, aren't they? What a song. Um, do you agree that Sunday is your fun day? Sunday is like the stress day. That's like the dread day, isn't it? I'm going back to work tomorrow. I used to have a lot of dread around Sundays, but as I've kind of got older, I can compartmentalise enough to enjoy a Sunday. I, I, yeah, I, Sunday can be my fun day, Dave. Really? Because I, yeah. I, I, I have this whole like back to school thing about it. Just like a proper... And if you're working especially early on Monday, it just yeah. ruins your fucking evening. Yeah. But I do love this song. I think it's couched in wistful melancholy. It's beautifully put together. I love the arrangement. I love everything about it. Um, Interesting that, like, to my point at the start of the segment about, like, you know, Prince writing this, where at a very young age, he was just doing the music thing and not really working the Monday to Friday, nine to five thing. But I think this is very effective. Um, and like, God, what a, like, 
excuse the pun, like purple patch was he in at this time that he's just like, this is a song he wrote and was like, I'll give this to someone else. Yeah, and it's he a wrote it for, hit. it was Apollonia 6, I think, and like it ended up with the Bangles. Yeah. Um, how did it end up with the Bangles? Well, I'll tell you, Craig, oh, when, when I when I discover my notes I was entertaining here. the thought of including um, Raspberry Beret, but it's such a fleeting reference to work. I was like, ugh. But it would have been a fun one. You could maybe get away with it. He recorded it for, as a duet for the band Apollonia 6 self-titled album, but he pulled it. Two years later, he offered it to the Bangles under the pseudonym Christopher, a character he played in Under the Cherry Moon. Um, so in an interview with MTV in UK in 1989, Debbie Peterson of the Bangles explained why Prince gave him the song. He really liked their first album. He liked the song Here It Takes a Fall which is a great compliment because we liked his music. He contacted us and said, I've got a couple of songs for you. I'd like to know if you're interested. And of course we were. One of them was Manic Monday, written under the pseudonym of Christopher. Uh, she said about the evolution of it. You know, it was a banglefication of a Prince arrangement. I like that. Does that work? <laughs> no, but it's fun. He had a demo that was very specifically him. It was a good song, but we didn't record it like, this is our first hit single. Oh my God, I can feel it in my veins. We just did the song and the album and sat back and thought about it. And the rest, Craig, was history. It was rock and roll history. It's a great song. I think it's a great. I think it, I think it stands up. You know, yeah. That's my hot take. Slice of new wave magic. Okay, let's go to my number one, and this is an artist that is not from London, like the Clash, but <laughs> does <laughs> sympathise with London. Working is shift, and I ain't shit. I wish I could buy me a spaceship. My manager insults me again, I will be assaulting him After I fuck the manager up, then I'm gonna shorten the register up Let's go back, back to the gap Look at my check, wantin' no scratch, so if I stole what am I Once again, we're not condoning violence against higher-ups And we all like people that we work with And that's Kanye West and a spaceship And... I wonder how many inclusions we've had of... Yeah, yeah, I knew you'd be on it, Adam. I knew you'd be all over it. It's been a long time since we've included him, I would imagine, because we were trying to take a break from the A stuff, but I couldn't... I couldn't not include this. Um, Last time he was included was in July. July. Of this year. Okay. That's a few months ago. Was it me? No, it was Dave. It was Uh, me, of course, yeah. What was your pick? It was Katy Perry featuring Kanye West. Oh, yeah. Ah, okay. That's, yeah. that's, what we'll was that top five? That. Science fiction songs. Science fiction songs. E.T. by Katy Perry featuring Kanye West. Yeah, that's fair. So this is, to me, I think top five Kanye, possibly. Um, it's taken from his debut, The College Dropout. It's him self-mythologizing, I suppose, at this point in his career where he's talking about working in The Gap. You've got the kind of bear costume comes into play at this point. And yeah, just extremely relatable when he came out with his debut um, at a time when gangster rap was still in full swing and dominating the charts. And this was just a guy talking about working retail and I guess quite middle class stuff, but, you know, making it seem like the real, I guess, emotional struggle that it was for him. Um, And there's something really soaring about it. I love the melody, he, the original melody he kind of laces over the sample. I just think it's Marvin Gaye, but it's just... It's a great example of him as a writer and I love that he delivers the vocal himself and all the flaws in his voice and the kind of faltering delivery just totally adds to it. It's a really, really sweet song. Um, 
some of the best Kanye one-liners uh, just and you've got that kind of iconic thing of doing five beats a day for three summers um, there's just so much origin story Kanye stuff in this um, GLC is incredible verses on this um, consequence as well and yeah it's just it takes you somewhere else it completely does its job it's everything Kanye promised he was as an artist for people in terms of like your shot of espresso in the morning or you know that empowering thing it's all encapsulated I think in Spaceship in a really really great way Um, it's you know it's Tim Robbins you know covered in shit in the rain just kind of like arms outstretched looking up to the skies being like I am liberated and that's the vibe yeah that's the exact vibe I got from this song (laughs) Shawshank Redemption (laughs) really (laughs) Kanye Kent Kanye Kent in terms of how many times Kanye West has appeared in the Encore Top 5 is it okay I'm gonna say this is total is it like between me and Craig Um, you go first I'd say 33 that's ridiculous (laughs) I will say 12 Seven. Seven? What? <laughs> what? Including this? Seven. Seven. Oh my god. Yeah, counting and ear. We also did a top five Kanye West songs, I think. I think we did. We like, did. So that doesn't. Yeah, no, we did. That yeah. Was around, that was the Donda release. Right? I can't. I think we yeah, did a top we five did. Kanye. We one hundred percent did. Yeah. I mean, I guess not including that because you, you're obviously picking instances where he would show up, you know, as maybe a surprise type thing. And also, there have been episodes where I've been off. Maybe. Yeah. Well, seven. I so, mean, like, so what you're saying is it could be thirty-three. Fucking ridiculous. No. I mean, maybe we've just been more restrained than we thought. So we overthink it. We, you know, we do overthink it, things, and you know. we overpodcast sometimes. This is going to be a big stacked episode, but a good one, I hope. So enjoy, um, listener. Always working though. Well, you just did actually. Retrospectively, <laughs> enjoy. Go back and re-listen to it and enjoy it even more than you just did. Always working, <laughs> Mister No Days Off, apart from when he takes days off. And we are in his house of work. It is, of course, Sonic Architect Adam. All of, all love to the man. Yes. And uh, love to you, listener. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, Patreon.com slash noencore. Tell people about the show. You know the drill. It's not too much hard work for you. No love for Craigie, no. Little Craigie. Uh, from me. <laughs> from from Misha. Mich- I'm just joking. We, I can give you an individual shout out if you want one. I will say Craig made me a great playlist. Oh yeah, which I, I owe you two more. Yeah, I, I've been promised a double OEM playlist, which has yet to arise. But I did task Craig with uh, making me an Alex Turner slash Arctic Monkeys best of type mm. thing, and I loved it. It's great. I made you a playlist as well, Glad. of course. Yeah, M83. It served me well in Rome. It was terrific dipping back into that. Yeah, really, really good. And here's what we're going to do. And Have ho- we got to share it? And ho- yeah, hopefully we don't yeah. fuck it up this time. So on patreon.com slash noencore next week, we will share both those playlists. Yeah. Uh, maybe a few Let's words about them, I don't know. Um, and we'll, we'll get that out after we get out the episode preview for next week. So look out for that next week over at patreon.com slash noencore. We'll have a new noencore coming soon. We're hoping to record it in the next week or so. Yeah. And in the meantime, um, yeah, that's me. That was the episode. Hope you liked it. Back to work. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.